today let's start off in Genesis chapter 2 as we continue this series on the essentials of the faith and today we're going to be in this topic salvation by faith I was reading a story about a little boy who came in uh, to the house with his hands just filthy dirty and his mom said hey what are you going to do with that? You know, she's kind of making sure that he doesn't touch anything. How are you going to get that clean? And the little boy said, I have an idea. I'll just clean it with my other hand. <laughs> and uh, mom said, no, that's not going to work because that just results in two dirty hands. And it's kind of funny how in life uh, some people think, well, I'm, yeah, a sinner, but I'll take care of it. I got this covered. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, get my life squared away and clean, my, clean up my act. And, and in all reality, we can't. You know, we come in with a dirty hand. We're actually filthy inside and out. The only one that can get us clean is the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, for us to be able to study this tonight is a blessing. Next week, we'll do one more. And then after that, Lord willing, we're going to start the book of Jeremiah. And so I've been reading that over and over again, studying on that. It is so applicable for the time that we live in today. But, um, man, it's been a blessing being able to cover these doctrines. Um, this is the one of the most important, of course. H- how is a person saved, you know? We're all going to face it. Like Margaret, she went home to be with the Lord today. There's no doubt in my mind. None whatsoever. None. She is in heaven because she was saved. And so you have to ask yourself that question. Do you have that assurance? Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, that you'd go to heaven. You've got to know the gospel, because none of us have tomorrow guaranteed. And so this is one of the most important studies of all. And so we begin the salvation by faith, number one, really with a question, why do we need salvation? And we see, first of all, just, just the tragedy of the first death, and then the tragedy of the second death. And so... The, the first death is mentioned here in the book of Genesis chapter 2. Notice what it says in verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, speaking of Adam, and he said, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Or literally in the Hebrew, it says, dying you shall die. God said, you got all these trees, man. You can grub from any single one of them. But that one right there, just that one right there, that's the only one you can't eat from. Because if you eat from that tree, literally in the Hebrew, it says, dying you shall die. So God made it clear. And it's so crazy because the options were so many. They didn't have to do that. But what ended up happening, you guys know, Genesis chapter 3, it says in verse 1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I mean, he first of all, he questions God's word. And and the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, singular, which is in the midst of the garden, in the middle there, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Notice she adds to the word, Lest you shall die. And so, you know, she knew, not supposed to eat from that tree. The serpent here questions God's word because our love must be tested. We're we're not robots. Do you love God? 
Well, when there's no other options, then yeah, there's no other options. But when there's options, our love begins to get tested. And that's exactly what happened right here. The serpent, it says in verse 4, said to the woman, you will not surely die. Hey? For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. I mean, a perfect environment. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were walking with God in the cool of the day in the garden, enjoying the creation. We don't know for sure how long it was, but it was bliss. It was love. It was perfect. It was just absolutely, I mean, you know, it doesn't get any better than being there in the Garden of Eden in one sense. And so all they had to do is not eat of the tree. But what ends up happening? A little serpent comes and, you know, he's cunning. He questions God's word. He contradicts God's word. And what ends up happening is she eats. She's fooled by the serpent. She's deceived by the devil. But Adam's not deceived. Adam knew exactly what he was going into. And, you know, he made a decision. I'm going to choose her over God. And he goes into sin with eyes wide open. And what ends up happening in a perfect world, sin enters in. And suddenly they're ashamed. Suddenly they want to hide from God because what ends up happening in the moment sin entered the world, death entered the world. Dying, they shall die. And what we're going to see here is why do we need salvation? Well, because number one, the tragedy of that, the first death. And what that is, that first death is separation from God. Sin will separate us from God. Adam and Eve chose to disobey. As a result, sin entered the world. And from that day forward, we were all born into sin. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve. You guys know that, right? We're all part of Adam's family. And so the Bible says that we were uh, conceived in sin. Psalm 51, verse 5, David wrote that. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that we all therefore need to be saved because the Bible says that through Adam, sin entered the world and that has affected us all. And so what that is, that first death, think about it, is separation from God separation from God. There's no relationship the way that it used to be when you read there and you continue to read there in the book of Genesis chapter 3, they were expelled from the garden lest they eat from the tree of life, lest they live in that separated state forever. And so they had to be expelled uh, from the garden of Eden and that was the way that we were born into the world. We're all born with a sin nature. We're all born with an inclination to evil. We all have it within us. Even if we're Christians, we still have that. And so what happens? A lot of times we find ourselves looking at these things. Sometimes people think that they're, they're good enough. No, I don't, I don't have sin. I don't have sin. We all do. You know, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we've all sinned. And the reason we've all sinned is because we were born into sin. We have a sin nature. So we sin because we're sinners. 
And all that means is that, you know, when you look at this, a lot of times people mistakenly think that they can be okay without the Lord, like that little boy coming in trying to clean one dirty hand with the other clean hand. It's not going to work. You know, one of the things that I, I have to admit that I need to do on a regular basis every six months is get my teeth clean. Do you guys do that? You guys go get your teeth clean? If you should, or if not, you're going to be in trouble. I remember reading a sign in the dentist's office that said, you don't have to floss all of your teeth, just the ones you want to keep. And so I thought that was funny. <laughs> but you know, um, it, it, when I go to the dentist, um, and the one who cleans my teeth, I tell you what, I brush my teeth over and over and over again, and then I floss them, you know, you know three times, you know, because I, I just don't want to go over to the, you know, the, the dentist's office and be embarrassed with a dirty mouth but there she is and she's working hard and she's like <laughs> she's like man you're all messed up man <laughs> and here i tried but that's the way it is we can't make ourselves clean and and that that the reason we need to be saved is because of the first death which is separation from god all the people out there who don't know the lord they don't have that relationship with god the way that we have that intimate personal relationship with god there is that that's what the result of the of the first death and so all of sin falls short of the glory of god the bible says in romans three twenty three and romans six twenty three says for the wages of sin is death and so adrian rogers said there's no one so bad he cannot be saved and there's no one so good he need not be saved everyone needs some point in time you have to be born again. You have to give your life to Christ. Uh, otherwise, you experience the, the first death, the, the death Paul writes of in Romans chapter 6. It's not just physical death, but it's a spiritual death that separates us from God. As a matter of fact, we're trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. And before you're a Christian, your spirit is dead. All you have is a soul and a body, but you don't have the spirit. And so that there's the first death to consider, the tragedy of the first death, but then there's also the reality of the second death. And go to Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation chapter 20, it says in verse 11, Now I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works, and then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Notice it says, this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, you're, you're wondering, well, why do I need to be saved? Why, why do I need salvation? Why do Christians talk about that so much? Well, it's the tragedy of the first death, which is immediate separation from God, but it is the reality of the second death that if your name is not written in the book of life, this is eternal separation 
from God. If a person dies without salvation, that person will experience this second death, which is eternal suffering and separation from God, cast into the lake of fire forever. And you might wonder, well, why would God do that? Why would God do that? Because God is holy. Holy, holy. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, He cannot, God cannot dwell with sin favorably. It's as simple as that. He's not like us. And so what we find is God has provided a way for us to be saved. But if we reject the way that he's provided, then this is what we'll experience. That individual will experience the second death. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, that God is of pure eyes then to behold evil. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, it says, There shall by no means enter into heaven, enter it, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so you're wondering, why do I need to be saved? Why does an individual need salvation? Because of the first death and the second death. We don't want to live a life for even a moment longer that is separated from God. And so you wonder, secondly, what is the life of salvation? Okay, now I know why I need it. Well, what is salvation? In, in one sense, we see, letter A, that we are, when we're saved, we're saved from the power, penalty, and one day the presence of sin. Before I was a Christian, I couldn't stop. Before I was a Christian, you guys heard my language, and it would just blow your mind. You're like, no way Manny could talk like that, or Manny could do that. I was even a cruel person, honestly. I still uh, fall short, but I could not stop. I could not change because I did not have the power over sin. You see, when you get saved, you get, you get saved from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, which is what we just read about, the lake of fire. You're saved from that. But then the third thing is one day the presence of sin, where Margaret is, Right now, there's no doubt about it. There is no sin in heaven. Imagine how awesome that will be. And what we find is this is life. This is the life of, of salvation. Remember, if you want to turn to Matthew 1, and this is one of my favorite verses, and I know a lot of you probably already know this verse, but I, I want to read it to you. In Matthew chapter 1, Notice what it says in verse uh, 21 when the angel is talking to Joseph and telling him the whole plan. And uh, it says in, in verse 21, and she will bring forth a son, This is, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, that's salvation. Remember we talked about the name of Jesus. What does it mean? Yahweh is salvation. Name him Yahweh is salvation. Name him Yeshua. Name him this because he will save his people from their sins. And now sin no longer has dominion over us. You can be the godly man, the man of God. You can be that godly young lady. Even though we're living in a world that is just crazy. We can shine as lights in the darkness because we are saved. We've been set free. He will save his people 
from their sins. You see, we're saved from the power penalty presence of sin one day, and we're saved by being born again and adopted into God's family as his child. Remember, we, we talked about this. If you go to John chapter 1, another uh, awesome verse. I know a lot of you know this, but you're wondering, well, what about this life of salvation? Look at how good it is. It says in John chapter 1, in verse 10, Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own in reference to the Jews and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. You know, you're like, well, what is this life of salvation? Well, you're set free from the power of sin and and the penalty and the presence of sin. How awesome is that? And then when you get saved, you become a child of God. And it's so cool when you look at that. You know, we were made, in one sense, a child of God through creation, but that needs to be added to through regeneration and adoption. And right here we see that as many, whoever that person is, have received the Lord. To them he gave the right to become children of God. And so, have you done that? Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you crowned him king in your life? If you haven't, do that right now. Right now. Right now, you say, yes, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. And the moment you do this, you are immediately Adopted into God's family. You're born again into God's family. Your name is then written in the book of life. Wherever you are. It's so cool the way that it can happen like this. This happens, this life of salvation. Let her see we're saved by being justified. And that's a legal declaration of righteousness in God's holy sight. In God's holy courtroom. And so you guys know in the Bible when it, rep- when it shows Jesus, it shows him with eyes of fire. And basically what that means is that he sees everything. He sees and scrutinizes to the heart. And so when you're standing before Jesus one day, believe you me, there is nothing that he can't see. But justification means that when you're there in that courtroom setting one day, so to speak, and and the Lord is looking at you, that you will be justified in that a legal declaration of righteousness takes place over your life just as if you'd never sinned. Never. That's salvation. That's what God will give to us. He will cover us, the Bible says, in the righteousness of Christ. And it's so beautiful, this whole story. I I love the the account in the book of Numbers. If you guys want to go over to the book of Numbers, Numbers is the number four book in the Bible, if you didn't know that. But, you know, by the time you get to this portion of Israel's history, they've failed the Lord many times. And they've complained and they've griped and, you know, they've been giving Moses a hard time for a long time. You know, and so this whole story right here, you guys might remember um, the, the king of Moab hired Balaam 
So Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel. He, these guys are, are just like, they're going to come and they're going to swallow us up. I want you to come. I want you to curse these people. And so Balaam, who was a prophet per prophet, he was trying to accommodate the guy, but he was honest with him. He said, I'm not going to say anything. I can't really say anything unless the Lord you know, gives me those. I can't say what, unless what God says. And, and it's interesting the way that you read through this. Even though Israel had committed so much sin, they had committed so much sin, just like you and me, we have sin, right? But look what it says right here. Look what it says in verse 21 as, as, as Balaam is, is doing his prophecy. He says in verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent or change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, he says, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Notice this is it right here. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. I mean, I love this. Because as he's looking down over three million Jews, and believe you me, there's a lot of them that have failed the Lord. He said when God looks at them, he sees no sin. See, when you're in Christ and you're saved, when God looks at you, even though we can see a, a sin in ourselves and others, because of the fact that you're covered in the righteousness of Christ by faith, it's just so beautiful to know that God sees no sin. That's what faith does. That's the life of salvation. You see, we're saved by being justified. Romans 3.24 says the same thing. We're saved by being sanctified, and that is that we're set apart to God. And so if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I don't know if it's really hit you the way it should, but right here, Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified, there's that word, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be what? Saints with all who were and who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And it's just so cool. I love this verse, you know, again, just primary point right now where you guys are sanctified, set apart. Um, but he's writing to the church in Corinth, and the church of Corinth, they're kind of all messed up, kind of like us sometimes. We have our good days, we have our bad days. But, it, you know, it's so cool to know that he's writing to them and he's just saying to them, you are sanctified. You are saints. We have the mentality nowadays, the Catholic Church, you know, they you know, will canonize somebody if a certain uh, uh, amount of evidence or miracles or whatever their procedures are, and they'll canonize someone as a saint where the Bible canonizes every single Christian as a saint. Saint Shelley sitting right over there. <laughs> 
don't pray to her, <laughs> but that's who you are. You know, I look at my brothers and some of you guys, man, we have had a rough life and you guys have gone through so much. And maybe sometimes the enemy comes in and he tries to remind you of what a fail you are, or maybe the things that you've done in the past. Don't, don't listen to the devil, listen to God. God sees no sin, positionally speaking, when we're Christians. We're saved in that justified and sanctified, and then we're actually saved, and the day will come when we'll be glorified. You know, and this is all part of this life of salvation. When we're saved, we can know for certain that if we were to die today or if the Lord were to come at this moment to rapture his church, we know that we'll be with him in heaven forever and ever and ever. I love Second Timothy. If you guys want to turn there, Second Timothy chapter 4. And look what... Paul wrote, this is his last letter. He's about to die. They're about to chop off his head. If they were about to chop off your head, would you have this kind of confidence? Look what he says right here. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. You know, when you die, life is not over. When you lie, die, you split, you depart, you go to heaven. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I love that, man. I pray that when we're there one day, and maybe we'll be there in the hospital bed, maybe we'll be there in different situations. I don't know what it is, but I pray that when you're there, you're not going to look back on your life with a whole bunch of regrets. Oh, I woulda, coulda, shoulda. No. Man, my prayer is that we look back on our life and we say, man, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. That's what Paul said. And he says, finally, there is later for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And of course, we can picture Paul being crowned with that crown of righteousness, but it's not just him. He says, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his, that's Jesus, appearing. And we love the fact that Christ came to save us. And so there is the aspect of being justified, being sanctified, but also being glorified. In Ephesians chapter 2, it even says that even now, because God is outside of time, we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. I look forward to that day. You know, I love my life. I love the food. I love the fellowship. I love the fun. I love my family. I praise God for the flock. But I tell you what, this is not my home. I look forward to the day there'll be no more sin or suffering or sickness or Satan. I look forward to that day. Because we all have our ups and downs. We all go through times of depression. It doesn't matter how good your life is. You know, and you wonder sometimes, you're like, man, Lord, I don't get it. I'm serving you and Maybe you find yourself blessed in, in, in one sense, but then there are those moments where you just can't put your finger on it. You feel the oppression, the heaviness of the world that we live in. And you wonder, why is it? Why can't I just always be happy I'm a Christian? And the Lord's simple answer is, you're not home yet. We're not home yet. 
But one day we know we will be home. You know, John wrote in 1 John 5.13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You may know you have eternal life. You know, sometimes when when, uh, some churches, it's kind of funny, you'll do an altar call. You know, you call people forward and so people come forward to receive the Lord and they get saved. Some people, they keep coming forward though. Over and over again, I, I, I got to make sure I'm saved. You know, I don't know for sure if I'm saved. And, and the Lord is like, give me a break, man. You're already saved. But for whatever reason, sometimes we just don't understand the gospel. I remember one time John MacArthur was telling a story about he was on a plane. He was sitting next to this guy and he, found, he saw John reading the Bible. And, uh, and they just struck up a conversation about heaven and hell and all those types of things. And uh, the guy, you know, asked John MacArthur, so you, you, you know that you're, you're going to heaven? Like, you know you are? And he said, yeah, I know I'm going to heaven because I believe in the blood of Jesus Christ. I, the gospel is clear. It's simple. And so he asked this guy, what about you? Are, are, do you know? And all the guy could say is, I, I hope so. I hope I am. He was Muslim. And because you're a Muslim, the day that you die your good works have to outweigh your bad works. And if they don't, then you won't go to heaven. And so the guy started talking to John MacArthur, and he's, you know, John MacArthur, well, do you sin? Trying to share the gospel with him. And he's like, yeah, I do sin. I'm on my way to sin. I'm going to go with this girl that I'm meeting in this town. And so John MacArthur said, oh, okay, well, well, let me tell you something. You're not going to heaven. (laughs) I can tell you that. Because you're living in unrepentant, volitional sin. And you're not accepting Christ. And this is, and so he started sharing. I don't know how it all ended, but it's just amazing to me how we can know that we're going to heaven because it's not based on our behavior. It's based on the fact that we believe in the blood. That leads us to the third point, and that is how are we saved? How is someone saved? Well, let me begin by emphasizing, first of all, God's sovereignty. You know, it has to begin, the answer has to begin with God. I always like to say this, God gets all the credit and all the glory for our salvation. Look at at John chapter 6. And we went over this not too long ago. But in John chapter 6 and verse 44, It says, no one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. You know, you you read over and over in the Bible about how God is our Savior. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song, and he has also become my salvation. You know, it's not like you can just go out and get saved anytime. I mean, we have to make sure when we're, 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 when we're diving into the doctrine of soteriology or salvation that we give God all the credit and all the glory because no one can come to him unless they're drawn by him. You know, I always tell you guys we were saved by the Father 
when he chose us before time began. We were saved by the Son when he died on Calvary. And we were saved by the Holy Spirit the moment we were born again. I mean, salvation must begin with the sovereignty of God. But we have to also acknowledge not just the divine sovereignty, but human responsibility. And so a a person is free to choose salvation or not. I mean, isn't it crazy? I remember this one guy, he, he says, I don't like free will. I mean, he had a preference. He said, I'd rather be a robot because so many times when we have our own free will, we go out and we do the wrong thing, but that's how we're made, and that's the only way there can be a test of love. And so divine sovereignty, God is on the throne and God is provident, but also human responsibility. Remember what Joshua said? He told the people as he was about to die, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You can choose. Who will you serve? He said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. See, we are free to choose. Human responsibility is perfectly compatible, compatible with God's sovereignty. Sometimes people think that they can't coexist or they conflict. But it's true. Both are true. God is sovereign. God is Savior. But we can choose and we are free. You know, one time someone came to see it Spurgeon, they asked him, how do you reconcile divine sovereignty with human responsibility? And he said, I don't try to reconcile friends. They're both true. People are free to choose. As a matter of fact, we are not free not to choose. We have to choose. God's given us that freedom. And so when you're talking about, well, how is someone saved? Let's make sure we mention God's sovereignty. He gets all the credit and all the glory. Thank you, God, for saving me. But then we have to present it to people, and they have to make a choice. Number one, we must exercise faith in Christ. And so when a person hears the gospel and by faith repents, receives, and believes that gospel, the person is instantly saved. How many of you guys remember the moment you got saved? I'm just curious, because it's not like that with everybody. So the, some of you guys remember the moment, huh? When you went forward or you prayed that prayer or something happened, it was in an instant of time and God came into your life. That's what happens when you exercise faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so Ephesians 2 is a very strong uh, passage telling us that it's by grace through faith. Now, grace means you can never deserve it. You can never earn it. You can't. It's by grace. And the the way that you get that grace, that you know, that, um, that favor of God is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what he did on the cross, right? And we'll talk more about the details on that. But Paul here goes on to make sure it's understood, not by works. So when the Mormons come knocking at your door, they're very nice guys, very nice guys. 
but they preach a perverted gospel. Galatians chapter 1 says, even if we or an angel of light preach to you any other gospel, let him be anathema. And that's exactly what they're doing. They say that this angel Moroni came and appeared to you know, Joseph Smith and these golden plates and all that kind of stuff. And what they're doing, the reason they go knocking door to door and riding their bicycles and doing their two-year missionary work is because it's part of them trying to earn their salvation. Same thing with JW. Same thing, unfortunately, with the Catholic Church, in all honesty. Now, I know some Catholics who are saved. They love the Lord because they don't know the complex doctrine of it. I think it's a simple faith in Christ. But the church, we have to understand the church teaches salvation by works. They say, oh, here's you know, the, 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 the gospel, but then there's the sacraments, and then there's this, and... And you cannot add to the gospel because if you add to it, you pervert it. And that's why Paul here is saying, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. As a matter of fact, in the next verse he says, for we are his workmanship, not our works. We're his work created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The good works are only a response. Lord, thank you that someone like me, this you know, below average, subpar, loser, wicked, nobody, nothing, who only deserves to be in hell forever. I know that's what I deserve because I sinned against you. Thank you, God, that you saved me. And therefore, I will live my life for him. That's how it works. You see what this is? You probably haven't seen one of these in a long time. You guys know what this is? It's a penny. Does anybody want it? (laughs) You guys are like, no, but this is a pretty penny, I have to admit. It's nice and shiny. But let's just say someone gives you a gift. Richard gives me a gift, and I'm like, okay, bro, well, here, let me give you a penny for it. That, that would then cancel out the fact that it's a gift. See, sometimes we, God gives us a gift, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, the Bible says in Romans 6.23, and we, well, I got to try to earn it. Here, let me give you a penny. No, you can't contribute to what's already been paid in full. And so for us, Understanding, okay, it's by faith. Paul points to faith as the instrument wherein the believer receives God's grace unto salvation. And he emphasizes this fact that we have nothing to boast of. Same thing in Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And that one passage taken out of Habakkuk in the Old Testament is is expounded on in the book of Romans, in the book of Hebrews, and in the book of Galatians. And so it is, number one, by faith. Number two, we were wondering, what is faith? I think there's so much to it. There's the word trust. Some translations will use that word trust. 
Um, but it is belief in, in the heart and not just the brain. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, sometimes the difference between heaven and hell is, is 18 inches. Because you've got a lot of people, they grew up in the church, their parents are, are Christians, and they think that they're okay. I knew this one guy, he said, I'm good because I have a brother-in-law who's a priest, and I have a friend who's a pastor. You know, my parents are both committed Christians, so I'm good. No, God has no grandchildren. We all must be born again, right? And it, it, sometimes the difference is this 18 inches because they know it in their head, but they don't have it in their heart. And that's why Romans 10.9 says we have to believe in our heart. There's a difference, an infinite difference between intellectual assent and faith that takes place within. James chapter 2, verse 19 says the demons believe. The demons believe and tremble. They believe there's one God. They're monotheistic, but they're not saved. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, if you would turn there, this is a really cool chapter all about the resurrection. But we must understand the gospel, and really it's organized in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, and it's summarized in Jesus. Notice what we read here in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. I like that. He makes sure, like the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. Okay, so it's the gospel that Paul had preached. They were standing in it. It's how you're saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, underline the word believed or make note of that word believed because this is all part of the gospel. You believed it. But and it says, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. See, these are the things that we need to understand. These are the things that we, this is parts of the gospel, that there has to be belief or, or faith. This is what Paul preached to them. That Christ, here it is, he died for your sins. You see, and, and that's the thing, all Isaiah 53 says all our sins were laid on him. All the things we've done wrong, and he paid the price that we could not pay. He was the Passover lamb of God. And and then, you know, but it, 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 just in case you're wondering, well, yeah, he died. What's the big deal? But then he rose again. And so like some people like to say, the cross was the payment, the resurrection was the receipt. Now we know. I place my faith in him. It's the gospel organized. And that's why when we preach the gospel, it's important to be able to mention all these things. I think here we have it in one sense organized, but um, in, 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 in another way, 
I believe we have it summarized. I think I've shared with you guys this, that when my kids would go to sleep at night, when they were little kids, all the way growing up, I would always ask them, how is someone saved? Every night, I tuck them into bed when I had the opportunity to, how is someone saved? And they'd always tell me, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And they knew that. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They both accepted the Lord as, as early, when they were just little, like four or five, very young. But then I would ask them, give me the simple answer. How is someone saved? And they would say, Jesus. Jesus. And that's, in one sense, you look at it, well, here it is organized. But, you know, God is so amazing and awesome that, you know, the thief on the cross, he didn't probably have a chance to look at all the tenets of it, but he knew this is my Savior dying for me on this cross. He's the king with the kingdom to come. And, and you read through the book of Acts, and let me read to you guys if you want to go to Acts chapter 3, verse 16. And just you read through the book of Acts and that you, you find the simple answer is Jesus. Look, at it says in, in, in verse 16, and his name, speaking of the name of Jesus, through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him, it's in reference to Christ, has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst and asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? Look, at it says in verse 10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you Notice it says in verse 11, this stone which was rejected by the builders, you builders, has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so they were upset about that. Look at verse 17, but so that it spreads no further, they said, among the people, these are religious leaders talking to the apostles and talking amongst each other, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they commanded them not to speak at all nor preach in the name of Jesus. Why? Because in the name of Jesus is the name Above all names, there's no other name given under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. How is someone saved? By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's a little organized. How is summarized? Jesus. And that's why when you go out there, that's why they don't like me praying in the name of Jesus at the city council meeting, but I know I have to do it anyways because the devil wants to take out the name of Jesus. And you can talk about God and you can talk about other things. But once you bring the name of Jesus, you bring the name of salvation. And that's why they said, hey, you guys can't preach anymore in that name. And that's why later on in Acts chapter 5, notice what we read in verse 28, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. 
And so how is someone saved? You look at these things and I, I encourage you to go out there and, and, and preach the gospel and, and whatever you do, don't be ashamed of the name of Jesus. Yeah, some people might see you differently because it's not just like faith or it's just not like the God generic, but it's because you understand I need to do this. And so some real quick thoughts, final thoughts on salvation. Number letter A, God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to be saved. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. First Timothy 2, 4 says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And part of the reason I, I mention that to you is because there are some people out there, they're called Calvinists, and, you know, they don't believe that. There are some people out there who believe that God only wants some to be saved and the others, well, that's tough luck. And so we don't believe that. We believe what the Bible says, 2 Peter 3, 9, that God wants all men to be saved. That's his desire. But we also believe that the Bible says in Acts chapter 7, as Stephen was talking to those religious leaders, he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So he can be resisted. God wants everyone to be saved. That's why Adrian Rogers said, a man will go to hell unsaved, but he will never go unloved. God loves and God wants them to be saved. And so we have to make sure that there's no omission in the Great Commission. Letter B, true faith in Christ will bear fruit for and like Christ. Although we're not saved by works, true faith works. And you can read Matthew seven fifteen through 20 and James chapter 2, verse 18. And, you know, James is the one, that one might be good to read if you want to turn there real quick. Too late, no, I'm just joking. James chapter 2. In verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And so Paul would often talk about the fact that we're not saved by works. And so he really emphasized that. James kind of brings in the balance not that works are part of our salvation, but it's the fruit of the root that if you are saved, your life will change. John, 1 John 2.6 says, he who says he abides in him ought himself ought to walk just as he walked. And I always tell you guys this quote by Spurgeon. It says, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. And so there are some people who go to church every week, every week, and they are not saved. They don't have a desire to pray. They don't have a desire to read their Bible. They don't even really have a desire to go to church, but they're there because they have to. Some type of habit or routine or rut or religion. No, when you're saved, your life will show it. There'll be an outer witness that, you know, a changed life, and there will also be an inner witness. 
the Holy Spirit will testify. The Bible says in Romans 8, 16. I remember reading a story about a little boy. He was flying a kite. And so as he's flying the kite, he's letting it out. And it's going higher and higher and super high. And before you know it, the kite's in the clouds. And so a man comes up to him. He says, what, what are you doing? And he says, I'm flying a kite. And he looks up. He says, I don't see no kite up there. And the little boy says, I feel the tug. I can feel the tug. And that's how it is when you're a Christian. There's an inner witness. You, you know that you know. But there's not just an inner witness. There's an outer witness. Your life will change. You know, one of the most horrifying verses in the whole Bible is that one, we don't have time to go there, Matthew 7, 15 to 20, where Jesus said, many will come to him in that day and they'll say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did many wonders in your name. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. That's the last thing in the world you want, is to be a poser. You want to be real. And so your life will, will show it. We have to make sure that that faith bears fruit. And then the last thing is we must never stop believing. Never stop believing. And that's just what I want to share with you guys. Um, Hebrews 10.38 says, The just shall live by faith. Right? We read that earlier. That you live by faith. But if anyone draws back, God says, My soul has no pleasure in him. Let me close in 1 John. If I could just take you guys there. 1 John chapter 2. While you're there, maybe later on you can read Ezekiel chapter 3. Later on, you can write that down and read Ezekiel chapter 3 because that was where the watchman was supposed to warn the people. And he was supposed to warn the wicked, but he was also supposed to warn the righteous. And if he didn't warn the righteous, and the righteous turned away from God, then their blood would be on his hands. So he warned the wicked, yeah, the unsaved, but he also warned the righteous. And this is why this verse is really interesting. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 2, and verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. And so the, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. And I, and I hate to end on a, on a weird verse like that, a tough verse. But, but here's what, there's, there's different ways to look at that. You can look at that verse and you can say, okay, I'm a Christian and I'm, you know, saved and secure and I got nothing to worry about and, you know, I can go and party and whatever. I'm saved. That's how some people might look at it. But, but basically, another way to look at it is that if you leave, then it shows you never really were. So all I'm saying is, as a pastor who wants to have this 
Garden of Sada reunion in heaven with Calvary Chapel Almani, I want you guys to be there. Please, never stop believing, abiding, remaining in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never stop reading your Bible. Never stop praying. Never stop coming to church. Never stop having a heart to have Jesus as your Lord. Please. That's my prayer. And so, Lord, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for just being an awesome God and salvation, the gift it is. It changes our life. And I know, Father, that you have done miracles, miracles with these people. I thank you for that. And so, you know, I know for many of us here, it's not necessarily a message to be saved, but hopefully it's a message to uh, give us uh, that assurance, that comfort. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. So powerful, so beautiful. But Lord, just in case there's anyone who maybe they haven't yet made that step, that faith in you, I, I pray that today they would. And if you're here or if you're watching online and you want to receive Christ, you want today to be the day you're, you're saved, I just want to lead you in a prayer. And you just see you say something like this, and you say this from your heart. If you're here and you know you need Jesus, you say this prayer to him. You say, Lord, I, I come to you today and I admit I have sinned. But I turn from my sin and I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward. I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone, Lord, who who said that prayer, that you would just now touch them and help them, Lord, and encourage them in your love. And with this gospel, Lord, I pray that we as a church would go out with eyes to evangelize and that we would reach out, Father, we would not hold it in. What good news it is. Love you and thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.